Happy Wednesday, everyone. Welcome into the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by CP for Wednesday, October 21st. I'm Caroline Gonzalez. We returned from the bye week. We hope you enjoyed the show with Todd Graffinini and Larry Holder last week. Uh, we took a few episodes off. Obviously, the Saints were off because of their week six bye week, but we are back and better than ever. And on today's show, we will speak with Carolina Panthers uh, legend, Saints legend, and he also does some work with their radio and digital media team, Jake DeLome. He will join John DeShazer and I to provide some insight on the Carolina Panthers, who the Saints will take on in the Mercedes-Benz Superdome on Sunday for week seven. Big announcement coming out of the Saints yesterday. The Saints will be allowed 3,000 fans inside the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. They went back and forth with Mayor Cantrell earlier in the week. That was well publicized on social media and uh, on our website. So um, it was announced yesterday that the Saints will be allowed 3,000 fans for this upcoming game on Sunday. If you want to read the entire release, that is available on NewOrleansSaints.com and the Saints app. Also, another big piece of information, Michael Thomas's suspension is over. It was announced by Sean Payton on his conference call on Wednesday morning that the suspension for Michael Thomas um, has ended, so he will be playing in Sunday's game against the Carolina Panthers. So good news coming out of Saints camp all around. All of this news is good. Um, but let's go ahead and get into our interview with Carolina Panthers and Saints legend Jake DeLome. Jake, it's been an interesting few weeks, not only for everyone in the NFL, but especially the Carolina Panthers who have had to deal with some uh, positive COVID-19 tests, especially last week, no padded practice going into this week, more players being added to that COVID-19 list. How have things been, whether it's inside the facility or around the team, what's kind of been the vibe and the culture going into this week's game on Sunday? Well, I just think the biggest thing, and it's something um, kind of like a mantra Coach Matt Rule preaches, it's a, it's a FIO, he calls it, figure it out. And, okay. there, and, and that's, that's exactly how it's going to be this season. You know, and you look at the Panthers last week, they were under, gosh, what was the correct term? It was more of an extreme protocol type of situation. And I don't, that's difficult. Uh, you know, you watch New England, at least I did. I watched New England play Sunday, watch their game. And they struggled. They weren't in sync. And they had all these issues. Then you watch the Titans from two weeks ago. They couldn't practice and they played lights out. But I just think for the most part, it is very difficult for a team to prepare um, to, to get to get all the little nuances and all the things you want to work on during the course of the week. It's a difficult task. And I, and I think it makes it hard. And especially this week uh, with Joey Sly going on the, the COVID list. And so it's um, it's something you're just going to have to figure it out, like Coach Rule likes to say. How much more so, Jake, is that the case, especially when you don't have a, a traditional training camp, you don't have a traditional offseason to really get some of those chemistry issues worked out? It is difficult, and it's not like – I know Sean didn't have much of an offseason, but, you know, Michael Thomas has been there. You know, uh, Kamara's been there. Drew, he can run that offense in his sleep. And you've had a lot of the defensive players that are back. But this was such a new team, like a 60-something percent roster turnover, uh, tons of young football players. And not only that, I think having Teddy 
at least he knew some of Joe Brady's system. I think that helped tremendously, and that's kind of made the growth of this team. And I'm going to be very honest with you. I was surprised this team won three in a row uh, recently. I, I thought there would have been a few more struggles along the way. I'm not saying they'll continue to be struggles, but this team has come along fast. So I attribute a lot to Teddy Bridgewater because not having the offseason and the true training camp to really dive into the specifics of your offense and defense, I think that could, that's very crucial in, in, in kind of developing your team and what you can add week in and week out as the season goes on because we're still very early in the second quarter of this season. Now, Jake, we saw Teddy around here for a couple of years, and he's just one of those guys who seems to make people believe. <laughs> you said you're surprised that they won three in a row, but he seems to have that kind of gravitational pull to him. Uh, is that pretty much what you guys have seen from him? Without a doubt, and even more so. And just listening to the guys, because access is so limited, just listening to uh, the players talk about Teddy, how they follow him, and just what a leader he is, and how he has a relationship with almost every guy on the team. And and that's something that was going to have to happen, uh, because there was some similarity in Joe Brady's offense that he brought that Teddy had from the Saints. Because there's no doubt Joe brought some of that package to LSU and now Carolina. Um, and so Teddy has kind of really embraced that role. You lose Cam Newton, you lose Luke Keekley, you lose Greg Olson. You're talking about three dominant players, but dominant personalities. You know, Luke was quiet and whatnot, but Luke was in charge. Cam was the same way. He had just this big personality that lit up a room, Greg Olson. So there was so much, um, so many leaders that left this football team, someone needed to step up. And everything you heard about Teddy um, coming in, he's he's been that plus so far. It's it's funny you talk about those veterans, and it's it's interesting to call uh, Christian McCaffrey a veteran because he's he is fairly new to the league, but he is a veteran on that team. But unfortunately, dealing with that injury, how have you seen the relationship between him and Mike Davis develop? Because obviously, last week Mike Davis, you know, performed pretty well. How have you seen that chemistry develop? Well, one thing about Christian, and if and the players revere him, but they revered him as a rookie, the way he took care of his body, the way he practiced, and the way he played on Sunday. Yeah. But it wasn't just a lights come on, I'm here to show up. He is maniacal in his preparation, like all the great ones are. And, and he's a great football player. And I think that's resonated with the team. And then Mike Davis, to hit on him, you know, he, he, they claimed him last year, picked him up last year late in the season. And in my mind, he's just an afterthought just to get through the, the rest of the year. But in camp, you just kept on hearing about Matt Rule talk about Mike Davis. Mike Davis keeps showing up. You just kind of hear it more and more. He beat out Reggie Bonifon, who I thought was going to eventually be the backup. And Mike has played really good football. Last week, the Bears had something to do with it. But watching Christian... Um, on the sideline of that game last week, interacting with Mike, the first one to congratulate him. And Mike even talks about it during the course of the game. When the game's over with Mike gets his phone and there's text from Christian during the course of the game at home watching, Hey, what a great run. And, and that's something that's real. That's not fake, but uh, you know, by Christian, that, that's not fake. And I just think that helps um, help a team helps the team grow. And also Mike Davis, the confidence the team has in him uh, in, in him now, because He's been that bell cow the last few weeks that, that Christian has been out. And it sounds like he'll have to be that bell cow again uh, against the Saints. Now, Jake, Coach Payton mentioned specifically Carolina's wide receivers uh, coming into this game, saying how talented that group is. We know they were added Robbie Anderson 
but a lot of those guys you don't necessarily know as big names, but how has that group performed so far? I think they performed great, and I'm going to touch on Robbie. Um, followed him with the Jets. I probably followed him too close because he was on my fantasy <laughs> team for a couple of years, um, and that's the truth. But he was always that over-the-top guy, that big play guy. DJ Moore, this is only his third year, first-round pick. You kind of see that natural ascension on, on, on a true number one receiver, and I was expecting big things from, from him this year. Curtis Samuel was the wild card. He's the pocket rocket, like I, I, like to, I used to like to call him because of his speed and his burst. And last year was kind of an up-and-down year for him. But Rule, same thing, just kept on talking him up in camp. And Curtis has done some great things. We missed him tremendously last week because when you can throw out three receivers with, uh, you know, DJ with Robbie and then certainly uh, with Curtis, that can cause defensive problems. And we didn't have him. And I'm not sure of the status for this week, but he's a big piece of this offense because we've seen Teddy move him from the receiver position back into the backfield to run a to run an inside run play with him um, and use his speed on reverses. But the receiving core in Carolina is fast and they're dynamic. That, that's a, that's a very underrated. In my opinion, I think that's the best uh, position group on this football team. Have, have Robbie and Sir Per made amends? <laughs> that was great. I tell you awesome. what, I think that was so I, <laughs> it was so unscripted. And he said, is that a bear? I mean, it was just, you couldn't make it up. And uh, unfortunately, with the way this season goes, it's hard to get to know these guys because right. um, usually you're, I'm around uh, a lot more. But in talking to some of the tr uh, trainers that are or equipment managers that are around him, they just said he's a different guy, but we love him. Just comes to work every day and works his tail off. And that's something you have to have guys like that on the football team. But that was a great segment. There's no doubt. You know, Jake, I was listening to a, a podcast the other day and they were talking about the, the fact that no fans is kind of leading to more points, which is interesting because, you know, guys don't have the, the momentum. They don't have the energy that they build off of in the crowd. As a former player, how much do you think that is impacting the game? Obviously, the players are always going to say, oh, you know, we don't care. We're just here to play football. But as a former player, what do you think about the, the no fans aspect? Listen, if you're playing on the road, you love it. Because I know this week, if, if I'm the quarterback of the Panthers and I'm going to play in the Superdome and there's no fans, that is a win. We've already won in my mind <laughs> because how loud it is and how those guys can get off the ball. I can use my hard count. Sacks are going to be down this year, most likely, because you can't the, the, those guys can't get off the ball when they're playing at home. You know, those tackles can hear the quarterback. It's not a silent count where you have the better defensive end athletes against the offensive tackles. And when they're at home, they can get off. So I think it plays a huge factor, especially a place like New Orleans, where it is a true home field advantage when that place gets really loud. You know, Jake, defensively, what's Carolina's calling card? Because you mentioned, obviously, there's no Luke Keekley. Uh, there are times when you can lose a Luke Keekley, all of fame caliber guy and the defense can pretty much fall apart. Uh, so what's the calling card now? Well, I think it's kind of, I'm used the word multiple. I think Phil Snow, who there wasn't an NFL background on him. He came, longtime college coach who came from Baylor. And it's kind of, we go from a three down, we'll go from a four down look. And, but we starting to get banged up with injuries. So, you know, losing KK short, he's done for the season, the second year in a row. Um, you know, gross, gross Matos, second round pick. He has on IR with an ankle. So we're losing some pieces up front and that's very difficult to do. But 
then again, last week, I thought Chicago would have had more success running the football, and they didn't. David Montgomery struggled to run. Um, so to hear Whitehead and Shaq Thompson has really kind of grown up. And I don't want to use the word grown up. He's fulfilling that role. He was the first-round pick that grew, developed, and he's embraced that role. To hear Whitehead has been ta- a tackling machine. But Jeremy Chin has come in. That's the rookie out of Southern uh, Illinois, uh, the second-round pick. He's a violent football player, big, strong speed. Uh, strong safety linebacker type. So we're kind of multiple in what we do. We're very young. Uh, we've had some injuries in the secondary, uh, more injuries again this week. So this team's starting to get banged up. I'm anxious to see what Coach Snow will have to develop because you're playing the Saints coming off of a bye, and Michael Thomas is back. This is this is a different animal you're playing this weekend. And I want to clarify on a point I made earlier because it was announced yesterday that the Saints are going to be allowed 3,000 fans inside the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. But, Jake, before we let you go, you've seen this team for six weeks now. If you were to pick two or three things that you think the Panthers need to do going into this game against the Saints to have success, what would they be? Listen, you can't turn over the football. That's that's business in a couple of our losses. But red zone, we have to be good in the red zone. We struggled last week in the red zone against Chicago. Um, and they're one of the top teams in red zone defense, whereas the Saints is on the bottom end. So we have to score touchdowns. You cannot get field goals. So that's something where we're, we're going to have – we have to. And we got to get our passing game going a little more. Chicago did a great job of, of really limiting the big plays in the passing game last week. And uh, – Teddy got hit a few times. So uh, the, the turnovers in red zone offense, that's, that's got to be the key. Um, but what are the Saints are going to do offensively? The Michael Thomas deal, getting him back, he, he's hard to defend. He's very hard to defend. So I'm anxious to see what we're going to have uh, pulled up. But it's going to be a tough matchup. Jake, we appreciate your time. And, uh, you know, we know we won't see you on Sunday, but uh, we'll be cheering from the sidelines. And thanks so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. I was hopeful by, by mid-October or late October we could get to I could get to the Superdome for this game, but obviously not. So, so be it for 2020. We'll see you in 2021. All right, see you in 2021. <laughs> thanks, Jake. All right, thank you, Alex. Bye, John. Thanks to Jake for joining us on the show today. Now it's Wednesday, so you already know what that means: fantasy football insight with your very own Daniel Salerson and Ben Heisler from Sports Illustrated. So let's get you up to date with everything you need to know in fantasy for week seven with Daniel Salerson and Ben Heisler. Thanks, Caroline. Of course, joining us again, as he does every week, is Ben Heisler from Sports Illustrated Fantasy and Gambling, helping you set your lineups for week number seven after we both took a a little bit of a bye week off last week on the Saints podcast. Ben, how are you doing? I'm good, Daniel. Good to be with you. I missed uh, having a chance to to talk Saints, talk fantasy with you guys last week, but uh, full stream ahead, right? Absolutely. And I probably need you last week. I lost three out of my four teams. Uh, so oh, no. I'm going to need all, yeah, I'm going to need all your help this week. And uh, we'll start with uh, the quarterback situation in Miami. Kind of surprising that Miami Dolphins have already announced Tua as their starting quarterback for next week, even though they have a bye this week uh, for fancy owners, one that have Fitzpatrick, are you running to go get Tua or anyone that may be struggling at the QB uh, category? Are you going out there and getting him for next week? He probably should be owned in certainly 10-team leagues, 12-team leagues. I think it's still a bit of a wait-and-see approach. Um, 
What's fascinating is that Ryan Fitzpatrick, if you look at his stats right now, is actually the quarterback eight in fantasy. The guy that's ahead of him is Lamar Jackson, and the guy that's right behind him is Carson Wentz. So uh, he was putting about standing numbers. He was also running a lot, too. Ryan Fitzpatrick had 25 rushing attempts for 135 yards, as well as two touchdowns so far this year. And, and that's led to a lot of his fantasy success, and he was completing 70% of his passes. So I, I, I got to tell you, Daniel, from, from the level of Miami making this decision, I found it to be very surprising. Uh, I will also say this as well. Um, I'm trying to figure out sort of the reasoning behind it and whether or not this had been sort of factored in from the very beginning of the season that, all right, Fitzpatrick was going to get the first six weeks regardless of the situation. If Tua was healthy, then he was going to be able to use the bye week to take over. They'd have plenty of time to get him more acclimated into the offense. But certainly from a fantasy level, it's a bit perplexing considering how good Fitzpatrick has been. And I I just don't know whether or not the skill position players around him are necessarily going to be amplified just because Fitzpatrick has been so good. Yeah, it's going to be a wait-and-see approach, I guess that's for sure. We'll see how he does next week when they come off of a bye. Um, you know, this week uh, kind of reminded me, you know, I had Alexander Madison starting. He was a huge disappointment, I would think, just replacing Dalvin Cook against a Falcons team that's pretty weak on defense. So it got kind of got me thinking. I know they're not really considered a running back tandem because Dalvin Cook is the main starter in Minnesota, but there are a lot of teams that do have two or three running backs that are, are kind of, you know, a lot of people have them in fantasy on the same team. Is there one that just hasn't worked out so far that's kind of caught your eye? Uh, you know, I, I keep thinking about the team that ran so often last year with so much success, uh, and that was the Baltimore Ravens. And there just hasn't been any sort of reliable option in that backfield. And I'm not saying that anybody went and targeted Gus Edwards in the middle to late rounds of their, of their drafts. Maybe somebody picked him up in one of the super late rounds as sort of a backup option there. But I thought Mark Ingram initially would get more run and conversely uh, after a strong week one performance by JK Dobbins who was drafted in the second round I I thought that was going to be the guy like I I thought JK Dobbins especially with as soft of a schedule as Baltimore has in the fantasy playoffs that the JK Dobbins would eventually take over um, and and he would be the guy moving forward Mark Ingram's on the wrong side of 30 Uh, he's currently dealing with an ankle injury so Gus Edwards likely the starter now with Dobbins behind him it's just you never know which guy it's going to be each week. Um, even with Ingram as sort of the heralded starter, he's not getting a ton of run. They're, it's almost as if they're trying to save him. So um, I, I've seen folks that are a lot smarter than me in this industry advocate that they can move on from J.K. Dobbins at this point. And certainly with all the buys, uh, if you're in that sort of precarious situation, I, I get it. I just can't go there yet because I still feel like at some point, if the Ravens have locked up um, their division, if they locked up playoff seating, uh, Dobbins in very advantageous matchups could run wild. That's a good point there. Um, let's talk about some waiver wire pickups for this week. As we started last week, a lot more teams on their buy. There are four teams this week. And of course, a lot of injuries. I know with some running backs, you have Miles Sanders, you have Raheem Mostert and so on, even Mark Ingram. So it doesn't have to be running backs, but who should we look out for on the waiver wire this week? I'll I'll go through a position, uh, a player at each position, just as far as possible options that still might be available as we talk today. Um, (laughs) Jimmy Garoppolo is a fascinating case study. I I had him, Daniel, as a a back-end quarterback one coming into the year, and then I panicked like everybody else after what I saw uh, in the game against Miami at home coming off of an injury, and I thought, all right, something's up. Then, of course, he has a terrific game the following week in prime time against the Rams. So um, 
they trust him. It was just a matter of getting him healthy. And I think a lot of people sort of jumped the gun and uh, he, he should be okay the rest of the way. Now their schedule gets a little bit harder, but especially with all the injuries to the running back position, getting all their wide receivers intact. And now George Kittle being a hundred percent healthy uh, Garoppolo, I think is in really good shape at the running back spot. I think the clear cut name is Boston Scott. Uh, Miles Sanders likely going to be out for the next couple of weeks. Uh, they trust Scott, especially in the passing game, you know, whether or not Corey Clement gets a little bit of run is certainly debatable, but um, the, the Eagles need as much pass catchers as they can. It can't just be Zach Ertz and he might miss some time. It can't just be Greg Ward and Travis Fulgham. Like there has to be other people to step up. And I think Boston Scott is going to be able to do that uh, wide receiver wise. I, I think somebody like Tim Patrick still continues to be very underrated. Uh, I think three consecutive games with either at or near a hundred yards for the Denver Broncos and now Drew Locke is back they have a matchup against the Chiefs where you know they're going to have to throw the ball a ton so I think Tim Patrick is in play and then lastly at the uh, the tight end spot um, I, I still think Trey Burton actually might be the guy in Indianapolis and it was a bit surprising considering that Mo Alley Cox caught you know back-to-back touchdowns in previous weeks that Jack Doyle is still around but uh, they use multiple tight end sets in Indianapolis and Burton was clearly targeted, saw the red zone a lot of the time. Um, and he had a lot of success when he was playing under Frank Reich in Philadelphia. So it's just a matter of him getting uh, more consistent opportunities. And he's seen about 60 to 70% uh, of the snaps the last couple of weeks. On the other hand, there could be some teams out there, fancy owners that are in good shape or sitting well atop the standings and really don't need to go to the waiver wire to pick someone up. But there could be some players out there. Maybe it's a good time to stash them, pick them up when no one's really paying attention and then wait for them to be used later on down the road. Is there anyone out there right now um, that strikes you as someone that could be a stash player for later on? I think if you're looking at the quarterback spot, maybe somebody like Joe Burrow who got off to a really good start and has been struggling the last few weeks. He only has six touchdowns on the season, but I mean, he's thrown for 1600 yards. He has a very favorable uh, fantasy playoff schedule coming down the road. So I think Burrow, especially with all the weapons that they have around him, we even saw an emergence of AJ green, which I think was exciting for uh, a lot of fantasy owners. I certainly think he's in play. Uh, Zach Moss might've been somebody that, uh, you know, people may have moved away from, but uh, Devin Singletary has, had all sorts of injury issues in the past he's looked good so far but you know, the way that they were using Zach Moss was as the goal line back he was getting opportunities in the passing game as well and I think a lot of folks might have moved on from him uh, there's still a possibility too I, I forgot to mention this is sort of a waiver wire guy but uh, worth considering as well from this pro- this point of view DeAndre Swift has been awesome the last few weeks and he's starting to turn himself perhaps into the new number one back uh, within Detroit system. Adrian Peterson has, has been good. He's been a bit of a surprise, I think, for most people, but maybe somebody like DeAndre Swift could possibly be available as well. Uh, and then lastly, um, you know, I people might have moved on from him just because of the injuries, but Sammy Watkins was seeing a bunch of targets in the first handful of weeks of the season. And there's sort of like this, this PTSD factor with Watkins, like, oh, he's going to have one great week. And every time I play him, he's going to stink. Um, I, I like what I've seen from him so far up until the injury. And so I wonder, especially now, uh, maybe that's somebody that you go ahead and stash away for a little bit later on in the season, uh, knowing that he's going to see plenty of volume and consistency in this offense. I remember we talked about DeAndre Swift when the Saints were playing the Lions is how we yeah. really didn't know how that was going. Um, also, someone we talked about before the bye week was Latavius Murray. And when it was time to maybe start inserting him into your starting lineup, probably as a flex spot. Uh, this week, we saw in the win against the Chargers on Monday night, him starting to get a lot more usage alongside Alvin Kamara. So going into this weekend's matchup with the Carolina Panthers, for those that have Latavius Murray, are, are you starting him right now? 
I think you have to, um, because I, I, the easy idea is that Kamara is going to get all sorts of carries and volume and opportunity, um, but he doesn't need that to have a great game against the the worst rush defense in the NFL. Now they they played much better against the Chicago Bears last week. The Bears still got the victory, um, but. David Montgomery had a very difficult time getting anything going because the Bears offensive line has been a disaster this year and Carolina actually forced some pressure. I don't think that's going to be an issue for the New Orleans Saints. They're going to prove why Carolina uh, has struggled the way that they have as far as stopping the run both this year as far and last year as well. Uh, even if Latavius Murray gets... I don't know, 10 to 13 carries. There's a very good chance that uh, he gets upwards of 50 to 60 yards, multiple touchdowns. Uh, they're going to give him the ball at the goal line because they know that it's just a mismatch there. So um, I think Camaro is sort of going to be that, that easy lock button, whether you're playing you know, in season long or certainly if you're playing on the daily fantasy sites. But uh, make sure that Latavius Murray is in consideration as well, especially at the goal line uh, where he's had plenty of opportunities the last handful of weeks. All right, we'll see how that plays out this weekend against the Carolina Panthers. That's Ben Heisler. Of course, you can follow him on Twitter. I believe it's at Ben Heiss, correct? Benny Heiss? At, uh, at Benny Heiss. Benny Heiss, absolutely. Great follow uh, for those uh, tracking sports illustrated with fantasy and, and gambling, and he'll be here every week throughout uh, this season, and we appreciate the time as always. Again, Ben. You bet. Talk to you soon. All right, Caroline, back to you. Thanks to Ben and Daniel for their insight on fantasy football. Quickly, before we let you go, a word from our friends at SeatGeek. Just like all of you, SeatGeek can't wait to get back in the stands with you to cheer on the Saints and sing along to our favorite songs again. They're using this time to make discovering, buying, and selling tickets to the events in the Big Easy, well, easier. Plus, every ticket purchase on SeatGeek is protected by their buyer guarantee which means you'll get your money back or better even if your event is canceled. Guaranteed. Download the SeatGeek app today and when the time is right, let's go. SeatGeek. I cannot tell you all how big of a relief it is that there will finally be Saints fans inside the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. They will be masked up. They will be yelling through their mask to the top of their lungs. I am so excited. It has been eerie inside the Mercedes-Benz Superdome, even though we've had friends and family for the last two home games. That has been great, but we need those 3,000 strong coming in, coming in hot, coming in loud. We need those Saints fans. So I am so excited to be inside the Mercedes-Benz Superdome on Sunday where there will finally be fans. So can't wait to see you all. Hopefully you bring your energy, bring your firepower because we will need you to defeat the Carolina Panthers if you are inside the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. And if you're at home, don't forget, we have you covered from our Dome at Home Live experience. If you haven't already, you can check into our black and gold roll call, send in a video. You can find out all of the information on NewOrleansSaints.com. You'll just say a quick little spiel about, you know, where you are, who you are, and that will be included on our Dome at Home Live. So make sure you go online to check that out right now. All right, for Jake DeLome, Ben Heisler, John DeShazer, Daniel Salerson, I'm Caroline Gonzalez. We will talk to you on Friday. Thanks so much for listening.